This morning I direct your attention to John 8, 31 through 38. Hear the word of the Lord. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with my Father, and you do what you have heard from your Father. Bow with me in prayer. Lord, it's been a blessing to sing your praises this morning. We've been reminded of how majestic your name is and how, Lord, you are the line. Father, you are our protector. We've been reminded that you are, are righteous and glorious. We've been reminded of your amazing grace. We have sung about it. Father, we ask for your grace this morning as we come to the time of proclaiming your word. Please, Father, grant us ears to hear you. And more than that, Lord, incline our hearts to love you. To love you more than anything of this world. And to be faithful. And to abide in your word. I pray this, Father, in the name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Amen. This passage contains one of the best known sayings of Jesus. It's a saying that even non-believers will often quote. You'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. But I hope this isn't a saying that we've grown accustomed to because of our familiarity with it. Because when you take a step back and you look at the context in which Jesus says this, and you look at to whom he is saying it, it takes on a quite a different weight than perhaps we've realized. To understand what's going on and those to whom Jesus is speaking, I direct your attention to verse 30. He was saying these, as he was saying these things, many believed in him. Now that's a common theme through the Gospel of John. People believe. We're told at the end of this gospel that these things were written that you might believe. So these are people that are saying, we trust Jesus. And in verse 31, the focus becomes even more clear. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him. So he is saying the things in the remainder of chapter 8 to a group of Jews that are professing faith in Jesus. Now, when you realize that, the words of Jesus become shocking, almost scandalous. 
In fact, as we read through chapter 8, you realize that Jesus probably would have failed marketing 101. Because look what he says to people who are believing in him. First, he says in verse 34, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. Implied in that statement is, you who are listening to me, you're slaves to sin. And then in verse 37, Jesus says to this group of believers, I know you're offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me. You say you believe in me, but I know that deep down, you want to murder me. And then on top of that, he says, you want to do this because my word finds no place in you. Do you you understand the irony of what Jesus is saying to them? You believe in me, but you want to kill me. You say you believe, but my word finds no place in you. And then, when you think Jesus couldn't get himself in any more trouble, look down to verse 44 that we'll look at in a few weeks. What does he say? You have your father the devil. Yeah, Jesus, that's the way to really win followers. But he's continuing a theme that is all throughout the Gospel of John. John wants us to believe, but he warns us throughout this gospel not to give in to a false trust. Not to fall into an easy believism, thinking that mere belief is simply just just saying, yeah, I'll I'll count those things to be true. In fact, in John chapter 2, we are told that there were those who believed in Jesus, but Jesus did not entrust himself to them because he knew their heart. John wants us to believe, but he wants us to be certain that our belief is authentic. That it's a genuine belief. So this passage is really like what happens when you go into a convenience store or you're shopping and you step up to the cashier to pay. You reach into your wallet and you pull out a $20 bill. What does the cashier do? The cashier usually will either hold it up to the light or will take out this marker and place a mark on that $20 bill to see what? If it's counterfeit. This passage is like that pen testing the genuineness of faith. This passage is like a mirror that you and I need to hold up and ask ourselves. Am I a true follower of Jesus? The Danish philosopher Søren Kierkegaard drew a distinction between those that were admirers of Jesus and those that were true followers. He said there's quite a big difference. An admirer of Jesus will become a traitor when danger appears. If there's any inconvenience or trouble... The admirer will pull back. When life becomes difficult, that person who is just a fan of Jesus will stop following and stop being obedient. Jesus does not talk about admirers. He talks about disciples. Jesus doesn't want fans. He calls for followers. And it's by truly following and being a disciple of Jesus that we find the freedom that you and I long for. That's why Jesus comes back to freedom. He knows that deep down, you and I long for a freedom, a liberty that can only be found as a true disciple of Jesus. Now, in this passage, Jesus holds up one test. There are others that you could look at in the New Testament to determine the authenticity of your faith. But Jesus here gives one, and it's found in verse 31. If you abide in my word, 
you are truly my disciples. The mark of a true follower of Jesus is that they will strive and put forth effort to remain faithful to what Jesus taught, even when it's hard. Even when circumstances don't go your way, the true follower seeks to abide in the word of Jesus. Even when things go wrong, even when tragedy strikes or persecution occurs, the true follower seeks to abide in Jesus. Obedience and discipleship go hand in hand. Now lest you think I'm preaching a work salvation, I want to assure you I'm not. One of the constant teachings of the scripture is this, obedience follows faith. A person who has placed faith in Jesus will demonstrate that faith by obedience. They are two sides of the same coin. Jesus is simply emphasizing that faith, saying that truth, saying, if you have faith, you will abide. Now, abide refers to constant exposure to his word. To abide means that we, we live in, eat, breathe, drink, soak in his word. To abide means to remain in, to be faithful, to be exposed to his word, and for that exposure to be constant. Scientists will often use what's called a Geiger counter to measure the the extent to which one has been exposed to radiation. When a person thinks they've been exposed to radiation and a Geiger counter is waved next to them, it will beep. And the more exposure you, you have had to radiation, the more it will beep. What if there was a, an instrument to gauge your exposure to God's Word this week? How loud would it beep if it was placed next to you? Would it sound at all? See, the words of Jesus are inescapable because they are so simple. A true believer abides. Now, this is not just abiding for the sake of getting knowledge. This is abiding that results in transformation. I fear that one of the things that happens to us, and not just here at Trinity, but in evangelical Christendom, is that we view Bible study just about knowing and learning facts. We make it purely cognitive. But I would remind you that the goal of study is transformation. To be renewed in our mind, to be transformed by the renewing of our mind, to be changed. So that as we are exposed to God's Word and we dive into it and it gets into our hearts, remember, one of the images that Jesus used for the Word of God was a seed. A seed that is planted that bears fruit. Exposure to the Word as it gets into our heart and penetrates will bear fruit in our lives. And this fruit is not just action, but it deals with attitude. Abiding in the Word. A true disciple will abide in the Word and their whole outlook on the world around them will be transformed. Because this is not just about looking at the do's and the don'ts. It's about transforming how you understand and interact with the world. One of my favorite passages of Scripture, one of my favorite chapters, is John 11. Now, I know every preacher says that every chapter is his favorite, but I really mean it this time. I've been tempted to jump ahead to John chapter 11 because it's really the focal point of the gospel. 
in that chapter, Jesus brings Lazarus back to life. And everything that takes place around that event is incredible. Jesus shows up days, four days after Lazarus has died. And Martha, the sister of Lazarus, meets him and says, If you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Now understand what she's saying. Where were you, Jesus? She's calling Jesus on the carpet. Jesus responds with a question. Do you believe your brother will rise again? Martha says, yes, I, I believe on the last day, in the resurrection, he will rise again. And then Jesus looks at her and says these words. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will never die. And though he die, yet shall he live. Now think for a moment. What would happen to our outlook if we let that truth about who Jesus is sink deeply into our hearts? Would not that truth transform how you face adversity? Would that truth that Jesus is the resurrection and the life not transform how you deal with grief? Would it not transform how you deal with circumstances that are bad? Would it not transform it when you are having a bad day to remember, I serve the one who is the resurrection and the life. What do I have to fear? What do I have to dread? Yes, things may be bad, but I serve not a resurrection, not one resurrection, but the resurrection and the life. Now church, that's what happens when we let the Word of God soak into our hearts and minds so that our thinking is changed in how we understand what is happening around us. That doesn't happen overnight. That calls for renewal of mind. To destroy strongholds of habits that we have built up over years of wrong thinking and wrong living. To let the Word of God so saturate us that it drives out the corruption so that we are truly changed. That's abiding. And once we get it into our hearts and our minds, then we see it come out in how we live. We can't escape the, the do part. If we say we believe but do not do, our faith is a lie. So we read the things of Jesus. Love your neighbor. Turn the other cheek. Give more than what is asked. Render to God the things that are God's. Forgive seven times seven. Abiding in the Word means that we are being transformed to do those things. These are statements that change. And I pray that we will have the mindset of Peter. When Peter was asked, Peter and the other disciples, will you go away too? What does Peter say? Where would we go? You have the words of life. That's abiding. Where else would we go? Why would I leave you, Jesus? You have the words of life. Because once we dwell in the word and abide in it, look at what Jesus says. You will know the truth and the truth will set you free. That's the result of abiding in the word. One, you come to know the truth. What that means is, is that we begin to see things as they really are. And implied in that is this. We really don't know the truth at all. We think we do, 
But our ability to engage in self-deception is amazing. You see an example of that here. Look at verse 33 when they say, We are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say we will become free? That's selective memory. The children of Abraham had been enslaved by Egypt, Assyria, Babylon. And at this time that Jesus is speaking, they're enslaved to Rome. We're not enslaved. You see, you and I can engage in self-deception. I usually do this in a lot of ways, usually around food. I used to be addicted to Pop-Tarts. Some of you are too, and you'll come to realize that. I used to wake up in the middle of the night. We don't buy Pop-Tarts anymore. We stopped years ago. It's a day-by-day struggle. I would wake up at night, and I would be hungry, and I would be craving a great Pop-Tart. And in my mind, this war would rage. No, don't do it. But if I don't eat something, I won't be able to sleep. And if I don't sleep, I won't be able to minister to the congregation. And if I can't minister to the congregation, how, how can I pastor them? The church needs me to eat this Pop-Tart. That's self-deception. And the truth is, we justify sin that way. That's why he says you're a slave to sin. Everyone who practices it, practices. The language of addiction is prevalent in our culture. Sin's an addiction. We do it without thinking. We're still responsible for it. But rebelling against God becomes such a part of how we live. We stop thinking about it. It becomes our default stage. That's slavery. And he says, if you want to be free from that enslavement to sin, it comes by abiding in the Word. When you abide in the Word, you come to know the truth. Jesus is that truth. Remember, it's not a truth. It's the truth. Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So as we come to know Jesus, we come to know more about who God is, the truth of God. He is righteous and holy. He is gracious and forgiving. He is transcendent yet imminent. And then we learn the truth about ourselves. That we are slaves. And we need to be set free. The importance of this is seen in verse 35 where Jesus says, The slave does not remain in the house forever. And once again, he's speaking to descendants of Abraham, Jews, who believe they are the house of God. And Jesus is saying, it's not your lineage that makes you a member of the house of God. If you're practicing sin, you're a slave to sin, and a slave doesn't remain in the house. A son does. So if the son sets you free, then you're free indeed. Now this echoes what he said in John chapter 1, where he talked about that God gives the right to be born again, to become children of God. Born not of blood, nor of the will, nor of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. One of the great images of salvation is adoption. So that we who are slaves to sin are set free from that slavery to sin and become children of God. And guess where the children dwell? In the house. Jesus is saying that we are not going to dwell in the house unless we come to know freedom. And freedom is only found in abiding in the word. As we abide in the word, we know the truth. So I ask you this morning, does this characterize your life? This is meant to be a gauge. 
Because John wants us to believe. But he wants us to understand that following Jesus costs everything. If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. Would you bow your head with me, please? Pastor Nathan and I will be standing at the front in just a few moments as we stand and sing and enter into our invitation. This message is really directed toward believers because that's whom Jesus was addressing, those who professed faith. So this may be that time where you take stock and ask yourself, is my faith genuine? How can I know? Are you abiding in the Word? Are you abiding in the Word and is transformation occurring? I would repeat what I said at the very beginning of the message. We talk about transformation, maybe not looking at day to day, but are you closer with the Lord than you were six months ago? What's been the pattern over the past few months? Are you in the Word? Are you seeking transformation? Are you praying? And I ask you this morning, get beyond the self-deception. I'm going to lead us in a prayer, and after this prayer, we will stand together. And if you need to respond, Nathan and I will be here to pray with you. Or if you want to come to this kneeling bench just to pray and say, Father, change my heart, the kneeling benches are open and available. Father, you've given this to us as an act of love and grace so that we don't fall into the lies of Satan. That we recognize that to profess to follow Christ means we abide in your word. We are people of the word. And then we'll be free. Father, I pray that you'll help us to do that. Lord, I know that right now there's a spiritual battle going on. Satan is trying to convince some people that, that you're fine. You're fine the way you are. Lord, I pray that the truth would penetrate through his lies. Father, some are hearing Satan and they're say, he's saying to them, you don't want to go up there and pray because what would people think? Lord, I pray that you would give them a greater desire to be right with you than to keep up appearances. Father, thank you for the grace you give us. In Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand with me and as we begin to sing, if you need to come, step forward.